Go ahead and turn in your Bibles, if you will, to the book of Genesis. We are making our way through. Um, Genesis chapter 26 is where we're going to be today. And um, I, I see a very uh, strong pull uh, towards this passage in, in the psalm that Jared just shared with us. And Jared, thank you for stepping in for Lewis this week as, as Lewis is away uh, leading a team in London. Um, but different, Do, doing something different than the status quo, allowing the gospel to, to bring a change in us, our faith and who we are in, in Christ to, to be different. And the natural response of our flesh is to do what everyone else does. Keeping up with the Joneses is what we like to call it, or, or going with the flow, not rocking the boat. These are the steps and the patterns that we in society like to make. But, but what does the gospel call us to do? And what does that look like in family? The title of the message is about Isaac, who's following in his dad's steps. And so we're going to look at Genesis chapter 26 and see a couple of things about Isaac that his dad modeled for him that he saw in the family that may have been good, but may not have been good. So if you've got your place in Genesis 26, I do want to invite you to stand with me as we read the word of God together, looking at these verses um, in their entirety as we consider the word of God together. It says this. Now there was a famine in the land besides the previous famine that had occurred in the days of Abraham. So Isaac went to Gerar to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. The Lord appeared to Isaac and said, do not go down to Egypt. Stay in the land which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land and I will be with you and bless you. For you, to you and to your descendants, I will give all of these lands and I will establish the oath which I swore to your father, Abraham. I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven and I will give your descendants all of these lands by, and by your descendants all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed me and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for the call of the gospel that, that calls us to be different. That calls us to step out of a normal action in life of the world into a life of faith that is marked by the power and the presence of your Holy Spirit. And Lord, I know sometimes as we walk along the path, we, we sometimes stop and smell the roses. Sometimes we, we look at the journey and, and we take the scenic route. And Lord, sometimes it seems like we're stuck in neutral and we're not exactly sure where we fit or what we are to do in our current journey of faith. I pray, Father, that as we look this morning at Abraham, as we look this morning at Isaac, as we look this morning at your covenant, that we would see how you propel us into fruitful years of serving you if we follow you. Lord, you're faithful, you're kind, and you're just, and we thank you for that, and we ask you all these things in the name of Christ. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated this morning. So, so far, we've read these verses, and things look pretty good. I mean, the famine's not great, but hey, I'm going to go down here to Abimelech. We've seen him before over in the book, in the, earlier in the book of Genesis in chapter 20. And uh, there's Isaac being told by God, hey, look, here's the deal. The famine's bad, but I'm going to be with you. 
You you remember what your daddy taught you about the promise I made to him? So I'm going to pass that on to you. I'm going to pass this land on to you. So just, just be with me. Stick with me and you'll be okay. You realize that's the call of the gospel on all of your lives? Jesus says, abide in me and I will abide in you because apart from me, you will bear no fruit. The call of the gospel is to remain, to dwell in, to live in this covenant that God has made with us and sealed with the blood of Christ Jesus, our Savior, our Lord. But sometimes we walk a little different than that call, right? All you kids know what it's like, or excuse me, all you grown-ups know what it's like to have played in the neighborhood as kids, right? When mama calls, dinner's ready, what do you do? Start going home. Because if you don't go home when mama calls, a couple of things are going to happen. One's going to be trouble, and the other's going to be hunger. You don't come when mama calls, you don't eat. We know the call of the gospel. We know the call of Christ Jesus to abide in him. But how often do we remain in the world? How often do we walk in the pattern of life around us rather than the pattern of life that he has set for us in his blood? We're going to see that with Isaac. We look at this passage of scripture and we've got four basic parts that we're going to look at as we go through Genesis chapter 26 together this morning. We're going to look at the main idea and then we're going to connect it to our hearts in three different ways. And they all stem to the same way of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the covenant that God has made with us. But in the first verses, we see that Isaac submits to the same fear as his father, Abraham. Uh Uh-oh. Isaac submits to the same fear as his father, Abraham. I know, I left off in verse verse 5 and everything looked good. God's like, stay with me, walk with me, abide in me, remain here, and I'm going to bless you just the way I promised your father, Abraham, I would bless you. But then it goes in verse 6, Isaac lived in Gerar. When the men of the place asked about his wife, he said, she is my sister. We've seen this before, haven't we? Abraham did it twice, once in Egypt, once in Gerar with Abimelech, the king of the Philistines. Notice why. When the men of the place asked about his wife, he said, she is my sister, for he was afraid. Take take your pen, your pencil, circle that word afraid. I want you to circle, because we're going to come back to it, and I want you to be able to find it really quickly. Isaac was afraid to say, she is my wife. You heard me say this the two times that happened with Abraham. I will never be afraid to say, Christy is my wife. I want people to know that I married up. I want people to know that I hit the wife jackpot lottery when she said, yeah, I guess I will, sub- uh, I will submit to this thing called marriage with you. She's looking around asking, is there anybody else? She didn't really do that. 
Still haven't figured out why she said yes, but she did. And I'm going to tell everybody, this one's mine, this one's mine, this one's mine. As a matter of fact, I'm going to admit something that she might not know. When we were in seminary, um, there were about 1,200 single men and about um, 50 single girls, only about 10 of them that guys wanted to date. Um, Just the reality, sorry, it's just what it was. She was one of those 10. She was top of the list. So like, I just kind of like hung around her, kind of like cats will leave scent on their owner so that other cats know that one's taken. I just kind of stuck around, made sure some other guy like, oh yeah, I was hanging out with Christy the other day. We weren't dating yet. But I was like, oh yeah, I, I, I called Christy about this. So they're kind of dropping those hints back off, but I will fight you to the death. We will joust over this. He was afraid to say, she's my wife, thinking the men of the place might kill me on account of Rebecca. Had God not just told Isaac, dwell here, I am with you, I will bless you, I will multiply you. How do you multiply if you're dead? You don't. How would Isaac multiply if someone took his wife? They wouldn't. The reason Isaac surrendered to the same fear as Abraham is because he had the same doubt of God problem that Abraham had. He did not believe that God's promise would sustain him in the foreign land. And he surrendered to that promise. I mean, excuse me, he surrendered to that fear. What what are they going to do to me? It says that Abimelech called Isaac, excuse me, it came about when he had been there a long time. Abimelech looked, the king of the Philistines, looked out through the window and saw, and behold, Isaac was caressing his wife, Rebekah. And Abimelech called Isaac and said, behold, certainly she is your wife. Why did you say she is my sister? I mean, apparently the practice in the ancient Near East was for the king to be able to say, That woman, I want her. I don't care who she's married to. I will take her. That that was kind of what they did. So there was some legitimate social practice that was going on that would put the idea in Isaac's mind. This woman's beautiful. This guy's powerful. I'm going to die and he's going to take her. I get that. Abimelech says, that's not how you treat your sister. You guys got to be married. Previously, Gerar, in Gerar, Abimelech had the word of the Lord come to him and say, you are a condemned man if you touch her because she is married. The same thing happened with Pharaoh, but it all resulted from the same fear. Fearing man rather than fearing God. Isaac said to him, because I said I might die on account of her, and Abimelech says, what have you done to us? One of, you, one of the people might have easily laid with your wife and you would have brought guilt upon all of us. So Abimelech charged all the people saying, he who touches this man or his wife will be surely put to death. God saves him from this fear right in the middle of it. Right in the middle of it. And then in verse 18, it says that Isaac dug the wells of water which had been dug in the days of his father Abraham for the Philistines to have stopped them up after the death of Abraham. 
And he gave them the same names that his father had given him. But when Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found a well there flowing with water, the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with the herdsmen of Isaac, saying, the water is ours. So he named this well Essek, and they contended with him. Because they contended with, contended with him. They dug another well. They named, quarreled over it too. And he named it Sitna. And he moved away from there and dug another well. And they did not quarrel over it. So he named it Rehoboth. For he said, at last the Lord has made room for us. And we will be fruitful in this land. And then even in the middle of the turmoil that Isaac was facing and suffering, God blessed him. Uh, Isaac is blessed by God amid the turmoil. Amid the strife, you've got your guys out there, your workers, and they're digging this big old well, and you find water, and you think, good, we're thirsty, there's water, let's drink the water. These guys come over and say, well, this is our land, so this is our well, so you found the water, thank you, we'll take it. Isaac, rather than putting up a fight, moves on, okay, fine, we'll dig another well. Comes over here, digs this well. It's kind of like kids in preschool. I got these toys. They've already got toys, but now they want my toys. Kind of like adults. Kind of like all of us. The human nature of selfishness brings turmoil. James says it, James says it. Why is there struggle? Why is there strife among you? Is it not because of your selfish desires? You don't get what you want, so you fight with somebody about it? Isn't that the nature of American politics? Why we can't get anything done in government because people are just too busy fighting and fighting and fighting and not listening and listening and listening? That's turmoil, right? But but God blesses Isaac. He provides, he says, okay, I'm gonna call this place Rehoboth because God has provided room for us. Wait, didn't God say, remain in this land and I will bless you? I will multiply you? Sometimes we're so busy looking at the turmoil that we don't look at the blessing that God is providing. And sometimes the turmoil causes us to shift focus and shift direction, but we should never shift our gaze off of the promise that God has made in our life, ever. So now we have Isaac, not sure exactly where the water's gonna come from. He's already been called out by Abimelech for saying this is my sister when it's really his wife and that fear factor, but he has to go back to the promise of God. I promise I will be with you, I will bless you, this land will be yours and you will multiply in it. God blesses. God blesses because God is a God who does bless. God is a God who provides Blessings, we sing it. Praise God from whom all flow. That's right, all blessings flow. All blessings. Even the ones we think that we deserve and the things that we earned, they come from the hand of God. They're, they're his provision. Even the ones that we know we didn't deserve, Even the ones that we know were a generous gift. And we say, well, no, it was this guy or or this group or these people. It was the hand of God using them to bless. We dare not miss that point. God blesses. Not only does God bless, he then passes the covenant on to Isaac. You remember the promise over there in verse, um, verse four, verse five? I will multiply, excuse me, verse three, I will give these lands and I will establish the oath that I swore to your father Abraham. 
I'm going to bring you into this covenant. And now we see God making good on his word. It says in verse 23, he went up from there to Beersheba and the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of your father, Abraham. Look, don't, don't miss this. Do not fear. Circle fear. For I am with you. Underline for I am with you. I will bless you and multiply your descendants for the sake of my servant Abraham. So he built an altar, Isaac built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent and there Isaac's servants dug a well. Folks, this is a huge moment in the book of Genesis. This this covenant that God has made is passed on to the lone son through Sarah that Abraham had. His name is Isaac. The promise of God was made that through, through that Abraham would become a mighty and great nation. And we start seeing it numerically through the people that come out of the line of Abraham. Ishmael and his 12 sons. The other sons of Abraham that we talked about last week through Keturah, the, the his wife after Sarah passed away. We have all of these and these nations are established and these people groups are growing and they're spreading. But here through Isaac, we have the sole focus of the promise of God Isaac I told you I was bringing you into this I told you I would be with you I am the God of your father Abraham I am self-revealing myself to too many selves I am self-revealing to you who I am I am God Abimelech is not. The Egyptians are not. They serve in vanity. I am the only God that can assure the promise will come true. And I am bringing you in. I will multiply you. I will bless you. Do not fear. Don't fear. Why why no fear? Because he is with us. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Our God is a refuge and strength and ever-present help in time of trouble. Go therefore into all the nations, making disciples, baptizing the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them all that I have commanded you. And do not fear because I am with you always, even until the end of the age. Church, let me tell you this morning, the covenant of God is the assurance of his presence in our lives. When we see the promise made, we know the one who will deliver the promise and he delivers it because he is here. And then we see the blessings in Isaac's life. It says there, verse 26, that Abimelech came to him from Gerar with its advisor, Ahuzath and Phicol, the commander of the army. And Isaac said, why have you come to me? Since you hate me and sent me away from me. <laughs> I love Isaac. Son of laughter. He laughs. You hate me because I lied to you about my wife. And you sent me away. It's like he's pouting that he got sent away a little bit. But, uh, you know, why have you come to me? Notice what it says there in verse 28. They said to him, we see plainly that the Lord has been with you. 
Folks, should that not be the mark of our lives as followers of Christ? That people can see from the outside, the Lord is with him. The Lord is with her. The Lord is on that family. Man, I wish, I wish there was a clean and simple way to justify this statement with the deception that took place. I wish there was. Outside of the fact that you and I are prone to still sin. And we're going to come back to that here in just a minute. But would it not be beautiful if everywhere we went in the city of Fairburn, the city of Union City, and Palmetto, and South Fulton, and Fayetteville, and Noonan, and Atlanta, people would say, the Lord is with them. The Lord is on that person. That's what it means to dwell in peace. Isaac dwells in peace because he has the presence of the Lord dwelling upon him, resting upon him, present in his life. This is why Jesus said, I will be with you even to the end of the age. Don't fear. The love of God casts out fear. The presence of God casts out fear. Fear. And and here this king comes and he makes this covenant with with Isaac. A covenant of peace. A, A covenant that says we will not strive against you. You will not strive against us. We will dwell together. Why? Because of the presence of the Lord. Because the Lord's presence is upon him. He says there, he says, we have seen that the Lord has been with you. So we said, let there be an oath, even between you and us, and let us make a covenant with you that you will do us no harm, just as we have not touched you and have done nothing to you but good and sent you away in peace. You are now the blessed of the Lord. That's huge. That's huge. I know. Life happens, life hurts, life brings trouble, life brings wounds. Every now and again, when I'm praying with the kids, before the, our, our routine is Christy will go to, um, right, right now until Caleb gets a little bit bigger, the routine, I don't know how we're going to handle it when he gets a little bit bigger, but Christy will go to one room and I'll go to the other room and then we'll swap. And Christy's duty is usually to give lists, to tell them, because our, our kids like to have a list of what's coming up the next day. And, and, and so she gives them their list and tells them she loves them and gives them hugs. And then she goes, and, and my, my duty is to, to pray with them. And, and so a lot of times when I'm praying in Addison's room, I'll pray that, you know, that we would have peace and that we would know that you're the God. And, and she'll ask me, what does peace mean again? And, and, and we, we get this idea that, that peace means no trouble or, or, or that peace means that no, no, no fighting or no turmoil, no war. Peace means that it's okay even if it happens. It's the great hymn, it is well with my soul. That, that we, when we have this peace that no matter what the world throws around us, the presence of God, like Christ in the middle of the storm with disciples, calls out and says, peace be still. That there is this calm, there is this resolve, there is this understanding that the presence of God is protecting you, going before and coming behind. That nothing this world throws at us will rot the core of our faith and our salvation because our salvation does not come from this world, but from the God who made us. And Isaac dwells in peace. 
So what do we do with all of this? How, 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 do, we, how do we look at this and pick all these different pieces and, and put them together? What's the point of Genesis chapter 26? Let me bullet tell to you in this statement here. That God's covenants, the covenants he makes with us, they're not one generational, nor are they biologically transmitted. They're not one dimensional, or excuse me, one generational, and they're not biologically transmitted. I, I phrase it this way for a couple of reasons. One, Isaac, even though the biologic, biological and promised child of Abraham, enters the covenant for himself. He didn't get there just because Abraham was his daddy. You do not enter the covenant of God just because your mom and dad raised you in church, just because grandma took you to Bible school. You have to enter by yourself. It is not a family right. It is not a family tradition. It is a one-on-one -on -one engagement and encounter with the God who made you and the Christ who saves you. His covenant is not a biological covenant and sometimes it does trace biological lines and I praise God for that, that I have a tradition in my family and many of you have a line in your family where you can trace back through parents, through aunts and uncles, through grandparents to great grandparents to generations gone by of faithfulness to the gospel of Jesus Christ. But some of you don't have that. Some of you are a first-generation Christian. What I mean by that, you weren't raised in church. Your parents uh, were probably some of the most wicked people to ever walk the earth. You love them because they were your parents, but they knew nothing of the good news of Christ Jesus. They knew nothing of the gospel, wanted nothing to do with the ministry of the church, and God redeemed you and saved you. You didn't follow the biological line. You followed the spiritual line. But it's also not one generational. What I mean by that is, one generation can't handle it all. Isaac could not multiply just because he was Isaac, the son of Abraham. The promise and the covenant of God comes to Isaac at this particular time. Notice, he doesn't have kids yet. Sorry, he does have kids, my bad. Wait. Abraham and Isaac are running back and forth in my mind right now. Yes, he's got kids. He's already got Jacob and Esau. But it is up to him to be the link because the covenant doesn't stop with Abraham. It doesn't stop with Isaac. It's got to continue. So it's not a single generation. It takes the entire family to execute what God is doing. And we'll see it go beyond Jacob and Esau. We'll see it go beyond the sons of Jacob. We'll see it go on and on all the way to the Christ who brings us the fullness of God's promise. In the local church, we cannot rest on one generation or another. It happens time and time again and churches end up in stalwart and, and, and stalemate over, over the idea that it's got to be this way for this generation and that way for that generation. Or maybe it needs to be all of us together. One of the things I love about First Baptist Church of Fairburn is that we are not just a multi-ethnic church, we are a multi-generational church. We've got some families that have like three and four generations right here within our membership, within our walls. And, and, and I am culturally different than my parents' generation. 
I I know there are a lot of similarities because I grew up in a white middle-class family. My parents did not. My mom did, but my dad didn't. My dad was the son of a farmer. Some months, I mean, if the crop was bad, man, it was bad. I can remember my dad telling me growing up about, he lived in the mountains of North Carolina. I can remember him telling me as he would grow up where his room was, he didn't have heat or air in his room and there would be ice all around the room from the condensation of his breath when he would wake up every morning in the winter. I, I didn't grow up in that world. So I look at the world differently. But it can't just rest on me. It has to rest on all of us. God's covenant of redemption is not a one-generational approach, nor is it a a biological approach. It is an all-out effort for us to work together for the gospel of Jesus Christ. So how do we connect it? What What does our heart look like in this scenario? First, we've got to understand that generational sin must be surrendered. Generational sin must be surrendered. It says there, in verse six, that Isaac lived in Gerar. His daddy had lived in Gerar. So the men of the place asked about his wife. He said, she is my sister for he was afraid. That was the generational pattern that had been set down from him by his father, Abraham. Maybe these words will re- resonate with you just a little bit over in the book of Joshua, chapter 24. Write this verse over there in the margin or you can flip to it if you want to. Joshua Joshua chapter 24 says this. Therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and truth and put away the false gods which your fathers served beyond the river in Egypt and serve the Lord. If it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves today who you will serve. Whether the gods which your fathers served which are beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and for my house, we will serve the Lord. Many of you recognize those words of Joshua. You might have grown up in a house that had that on a piece of wood or a plaque or something. I believe we have it on a dish banner something in our house hanging on the wall that we will serve the Lord but the context of this is that Joshua has just brought the people of Israel into the promised land into the realization of the the physical promise that God had made to Abraham that this land would be yours they had just taken it and he had just divided it up against uh, the the 11 tribes and the two half tribes uh, of, of, of Manasseh and put it out there for them this is where we are But you've got to make a decision today. Either you're going to do what your daddy did or you're going to do what God has called you to do. And so he says this, you can serve the gods that your father served back there. Now, I want you to remember something about what their father served back there. The fathers had grown up in Egypt. The fathers had been raised with this uh, pantheistic view of all the Egyptian gods. And they came out and they continued to cry out in the wilderness, why has God brought us out here? And they continued to harden their heart against the word of the Lord to finally, when the promised land was revealed to them, they said, we don't want to go. There are giants there. Those giants are going to kill us. So we'd rather go back to Egypt or just die out here in the wilderness. You know what God's response was? You can find this in Numbers 13 and 14. God's response was, fine. Moses, you and me, we're going to start over. I'm going to wipe them all out. Because they have hardened their heart against 
me. That was the pattern of the fathers of the children of Israel. Moses makes a plea to God and says, no, 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 no. You have made a covenant with Abraham that you would bring these people to this land. So for your great name, God, for your purpose, for your pleasure, you've got to deliver on your promise. And God says, fine. Because of my great name, because of my servant Abraham, I will deliver on my promise. But everyone over the age of 20 is going to die out here in this wilderness for hardening their heart. Fast forward several years, 38 years, they marched in the wilderness to Joshua and Caleb were the two that took them in. Joshua and Caleb get there into the promised land. They made the conquest, they divided up and Joshua says, okay, here's your choice. You can either continue to harden your heart and do what daddy did or, or you can serve the Lord or you can pick a new God. It's not gonna go well for you if you do, but my house We're serving the Lord. That generational sin, I don't care if your daddy was an alcoholic. I don't care if your parents were abusive. I don't care if your parents thought it was okay to skip church for whatever reason. I don't care if your parents were good financial stewards. We break the cycle of sin generationally when we surrender to the cross of Christ. That is the call of the gospel. Fathers, we will instill fear in our children if we are not daily surrendering to the cross of Jesus Christ. And it's not a fear of daddy, it's a fear of man. It's a fear of people around us that what this world offers will always trump what God offers. But the gospel says, no, it will not. But on the positive side, I want you to notice what happens with this father Abraham. It says there, flip back over. It says there that verse five, because Abraham obeyed me and kept my charge and my commandments, my statutes and my laws. Let me share something with you. The converse of the generational sin is the generational faithfulness. For the missteps that Abraham made and the missteps that happened in the life of Isaac, we see that Abraham taught Isaac how to listen to the voice of God. For when God called out to Isaac, he could hear. Last week we talked about how Isaac was living in the land where God could be found. And he he dug out and made for himself a home there. He protected that and he camped in the place where he knew he could find the face of God. Daddies, mamas, grandparents raising grandchildren, aunts, uncles, foster parents, whatever mix we have. Show the children in your life how to break generational sin habits and establish habits of faithfulness. Second thing is, you and I may experience blessing, but it does not eliminate sin from our life. Just because we experience blessing does not mean that we are sinless. Sometimes we get those two confused. And sometimes we even say things that are unintentionally bad theology. Well, you must be living right because you've got this, 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 this. God doesn't bless us because we've been good. God blesses us because he loves us. God, God doesn't bless us or punish us just because we've been bad. That's why the Bible is is full of examples like, why do the wicked seem to prosper, but God's people, you're kind of hanging out like, what in the world? Does anybody really believe 
that the wealthiest people on the planet are also the most righteous, the most holy? Anybody? Did y'all not watch like mafia movies from the 30s or anything? I mean, just because there's blessing doesn't mean there's not sin. Isaac is blessed in spite of the sin in his life because God loved him. Because God had made a promise to his father. What we have to do is find the sin and eradicate it. Er Eradicate it. Sometime sometime drive down to South Georgia. I'm going to put you to a test and see if you'll actually do this. Sometime drive down to South Georgia... Uh, maybe Dooley County or Crisp County, somewhere right on Interstate 75. You don't have to get too far off the beaten path. And, and, and there'll be a bunch of cotton fields out there. Lots and lots of cotton fields. I want you to drive down there and I want you to find a cotton farmer. And I want you to say, hey, you know what? I saw a boll weevil out there in your, in your cotton field. You're going to send panic through the man's spine. Because we went through an eradication process where the boll weevil that would ultimately destroy the cotton crop and the cotton plant had been taken out to where it doesn't exist. We've got to find the boll weevil of sin in our life and that's say, well, things are going well, so I must be living okay. We've got to continue to step into the presence of God and say, okay, God, where, where have I stepped away from you? Where have I allowed to, to, the generational sin to encroach, the patterns and the habits of the world to, to encroach on, on me? Because every day, every one of us is going to sin. Because every day, every one of us is going to wake up. And every one of us is going to have an interaction with someone else. And every one of us is going to have an interaction with ourselves. And every one of us is going to be prompted with the pride of life and the fear of man every single day. But God blesses us because he loves us. The third thing we see is our source of security. That our security is only found when I am inside of God's covenant. Notice with me that once the covenant is established with Isaac, we see the fullness of security surrounding him. He says there, do not fear for I am with you. He's making this covenant. He's drawing the circle. He's drawing the boundary. And in that we have this. Abimelech, king of Gerar, comes to him and says, we see plainly that the Lord has been with you. Jesus says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Learn from me, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. He then says, hey, when I leave, the Holy Spirit's going to come and because you have the Holy Spirit, you're gonna have a couple of assurances. One of them is that he's the peaceful counselor. He's the, the counselor will come. The helper will come. And he will bring to your mind all the, all the things that I have taught you. He goes and he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come. See, that is a security of the presence of God in our lives because we're inside the covenant. If you're not in the covenant, you're in Sin. Ultimately, there are only two places you can be in this life. 
in sin or in the covenant. Either in sin, in the pattern of the world, in the way of the world, walking contrary to what God has called us to, or inside his covenant. And you may sin, but you're not in sin. You're in grace. You're in mercy. You're in a secure holding of almighty God. Maybe today you're looking for peace. You're looking for security. You're looking for that answer. You're not going to find it outside of what God has promised in Christ Jesus. You're not. You're not going to find it in a relationship. You're not going to find can, can I just be real with you for just one second? This is not the most pastoral answer I could give you, but I'm, I'm going to give it to you anyway. You're not going to find it in a church. You're, you're just not. Because in a church, you have people that will let you down. You have people that will hurt your feelings. You have things that won't go your way. So if you're looking for peace and security in the church, that's the wrong place to find it. You find it in Christ. You find it in his covenant. You find it in the peace that he alone offers. And he puts us in this community. He puts us in this family called the church. And we love that. So that we can be an exercise of the gospel for the world around us. So that we can be an encouragement to one another. So that we can pick one another up when we fall. When that security's, when we're, we're kind of like, oh man, is it really there? We can encourage and bring others along. But we're not going to find it just because we went to church. We find it when we go to the husband, the groom of the church who is Christ. Are you weary from looking? Are you weary from trying to find peace? Are you striving? Look no further than the covenant of God in Christ Jesus to redeem.